0: I'm the crazy one that was up here a few minutes ago. (laughs) My name is Pastor Leslie, and I am so excited to be here. Can you tell? I mean, I know. I know. I know. (laughs) But you know what? Jesus is so worthy of our joy. And sometimes I get so caught up in what I don't see or what is happening, and I lose my joy. And I got to keep my joy on. Amen? We have something really exciting happening here at Lifeway in the midst of a storm, in the midst of what you would think would stop all growth or stop anything from new from happening. God doesn't stop. His plans don't stop. Whatever the enemy tries to do, it doesn't stop what God has planned. And our hearts and our minds are to stay in step with his Holy Spirit. And Travis and I, as we began to lead LifeWay last year and even before, we've talked for years now about having a recovery ministry out of LifeWay. And what we we started last year hearing and learning, actually the last two years I would say, hearing and learning about the need in our county. The great epidemic, if you will, is what the word was used, and it is. I know some statistics that every street in our little town of New Philadelphia has a drug dealer on it. Every street. That was last year. So here's the thing. This town belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it is time for the church to rise up. Man, I'm on a kick today. To rise up and take it back in Jesus' name. In the fall, I shared a message about the Moravians and how they came with the goal of bringing salvation to this land and the Native Americans were receiving Jesus and an evil man came in and massacred what God was doing, but he didn't win. You see, their salvation, the blood that was spilled in this valley, was seeds planted for the greatest revival we have ever seen. Their blood was not poured. They were not martyrs for the kingdom for nothing. We are here today for a purpose and a reason, and we have said that, and we believe that, and we are going to keep saying that, and we are not going to change the channel. We have been placed in this valley for such a time as this, and it is to call dry bones to life. It is to see dry bones come to life. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns for the good. Come on. I've said that like five times already this morning, but we got to trust and obey and believe that he is working all things for the good for those who love him and serve him and are called according to his purpose. And we are here for such a time as this. And this ministry called Celebrate Recovery that is launching in two weeks, we've been in training for the last month. And it is a direct answer to our prayers. Not only is this a recovery ministry, not only is it for recovery from alcohol, from drugs, but it's a recovery ministry that covers the full gamut of anything that you are dealing with in life. And it's not just AA or NA. You're not going to just come in and say, pick whatever higher power you want. I was in a meeting one time a long time ago with a friend who was addicted to heroin. And I'm sitting there, and I felt the room was dark. It felt hopeless. It was in the basement of a church, but it felt hopeless. And the leader said, you pick your higher power. If your higher power is that doorknob, great. If your higher power is that tree out in the yard, great. You just pick that higher power because you got to have a higher power. And I'm sitting there biting my tongue. Like, this is, no, it's so much better than that. There's that's not it. And what I love about celebrate recovery is that the higher power is Jesus. It is biblical, it is powerful, and it walks people into freedom. Ron and Kristen are testimonies of that. Jen and Jason are testimonies of that. Bradley and Danielle are testimonies of that. Kyle, you're sitting right there, your testimony of that. We are seeing dry bones come to life, and we are so excited. Amen? So, the next month, we are going to spend time talking about recovery. What is recovery? What does it look like? Pastor Travis and I are in recovery. The Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we can, none of us can sit here and say, I'm good. I got it all figured out. Be careful that you don't fall. Right? Okay. All right. That was heavy. Okay. So I want to tell you a story. There's this dad who wanted to take a nap. (laughs) I know one of those. He likes to take naps, that one over there. But this isn't his story. So we are taking from Rick Warren. He and Johnny Baker are the founders of this ministry out of Saddleback Church. This ministry has touched over 2 million lives and counting. So probably 3 million by now. Because that was last year's stats, I believe. Do you have a stat, Jason? No? Okay. But this ministry has come out of Saddleback. And they've, they're like, we're not keeping this to ourselves. God is doing some great things and freeing people. So they launched it all over the nation. And so this story comes from his message. And it's this dad, he wants to take a nap. And so he finds a world map, a map with the world on it. And he tears it up <laughs> out of the newspaper. Okay, so it wasn't huge. Okay, so he tears up the map out of the newspaper, and he says, this will keep my son busy for like two hours, right? We should be good. Two hours tops. I can get I, I a nap in. So he tears the map up, and he gives it to his son. Fifteen minutes later, his son comes in the room, and it's back together. <laughs> He's like, well, that didn't work out like I planned. And his son said, if you turn the map over, there's a person on the back, So he put the person back together. He said when the person is together, the world makes sense. When the person is together, the world makes sense. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly, right? So we have been ravaged, some of us torn limb from limb, it feels like, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. But we're here today to tell you there's hope in Jesus' name. There's healing in the brokenness and the pain. There's wholeness where, where he just ripped you apart. In Isaiah 57, 18, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says, even though I've seen their ways, I will heal them. I will guide them forward and repay them with comfort, giving mourners the language of praise. So even if it's been at our own hand that, we have been got, that we've gotten caught up in addiction or caught up in crisis or caught up in anger and bitterness or caught up in shame and guilt, he says, I will heal them. I will heal them. In every translation, I will heal them. Amen? Amen. And I will give mourners the language of praise. The first step to freedom is learning the road to recovery. Five parts of recovery. He wants to heal you. I will heal them. He wants to heal you. He wants to lead you. He wants to help you. He wants to comfort you. And he wants to offer you a peace that passes all understanding. Amen? We can experience that every single day. Throughout this series, you will find and experience these things in your life. So we are all going to be on the road to recovery this month. I'm excited. You know what? Okay, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Back to the notes. This series is for everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Everyone needs recovery. And I added, or to overcome something. They use the language hurts, habits, and hangups. How many of you have experienced hurt? How many of you have a bad habit you want to get out of your life? Come on, let's be honest. We're in church. If you confess before your brothers and sisters, I will heal you. Okay? woohoo! Hang on, where am I at? I'm not on the notes. Hurts happen. How many of you have hang-ups? <laughs> I know the ones that are in recovery over here. They're like me! You see, I love that. Their hands are like, yes! Like Bradley's back there like, if I could reach to the ceiling, I would. Because that's me. There's no shame There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. Okay. What do I need to recover from? Overworking, overeating, alcohol, drugs, overspending, grief, guilt, anger, rage, fear, anxiety, bitterness, divorce, abuse, Sexual addictions, codependency, insecurity, perfectionism, hypochondriac, hurtful, relationships, gambling, lying, procrastination, the need to control. Regardless of what you need to recover from, the steps are the same. The principles are found in the Bible. Jesus is the only answer, the only higher power see we delegate it to only those that look really broken to us that we can see they're just falling apart those are the ones that need recovery I'm good I've got tape right here I've got glue over here I've got duct tape on this leg I've got this holding it up but I'm good I'm holding it together just don't pull that don't push that button because you don't know what might come out What we're learning about Rick Warren is he loves acronyms. How many of you like acronyms? So you like them. Yay. A word that has a lot of meaning within it. So he breaks down the word recovery, and that's what we're going to be walking through. And today we're going to be looking at the R in recovery. The R in recovery. And the R stands for realize. Realize. Realize I'm not God, I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable without him, for I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. This is Paul speaking. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it, for I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do right? It's the most confusing verse, but it's true. I feel that. I don't do what I want to do, but I, don't, I do what I don't want to do. He's saying, for, for nothing good lives in me. What an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? Because sin and death were never meant to be a part of our humanity. That happened at the fall, we were never meant to carry sin and death in us. Amen? That's, we weren't made for that. Listen to me. We were not made for this. We felt like, oh, I can't control. I can't get a hold of. I can't stop. This isn't, you weren't made for that. You were made to be in right relationship with the Father and to walk as a daughter and as a son. This is Romans, i sorry, I read Romans 7, 18, and then 24 through 25. I'm going to read that last verse. One, what an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God. Come on, somebody. I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. See, we don't have to keep spinning our wheels. We don't have to stay in the same place. We don't have to keep living in the pain and the suffering. We can get to walk free. Through Jesus Christ. What I love about Romans chapter 7, if you keep reading and you read chapter 8, it tells you how. That first verse, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you walk in the Holy Spirit's power, you will be free from the law of sin and death. So read Romans 8. That's your homework assignment this week. Read 7 and then read 8 because don't stop at 7. If you stop at 7, you'll be hopeless and you'll be like, I can't do this. I am a sinner, and I've got nothing to give. But if you keep reading, you finish the story about what Jesus has done. Amen? All right. The cause of my problem.
1: Throughout this series, there's going to be another four weeks of this, you may be a little offended at parts, and I'm sorry that I'm not sorry at all. Rick Warren says there are two kinds of people in the world, those who know they need recovery and those who don't know they need recovery. And I was one of those people. So often I feel like I have things together, I'm in control, my life is manageable. And then reality smacks me in the face with the smallest thing and I blow up things unravel in my life, I realize I'm not God. I'm not in control. So the cause of my problem is this, I want to be God. Now maybe not in the sense that I want to be all-powerful and and I want to be omnipresent and omniscient, all-knowing, but at least I want to be the God of my own life. I want to control my life, I want to direct my steps, I want to choose my own destiny, I want to decide what's right and what's wrong for me. I want to be the center of my universe. Right? It's so easy to feel this way. If it feels good, do it. Rick Warren says the more insecure we are, the more we're driven to control. Let that sink in, it's on the screens. The more insecure we are, the more we are driven to control. I'm in recovery for control. That was the last thing on the list Leslie read, the need to control. And that is my number one hang up is that I struggle with control, controlling my marriage, controlling my kids, controlling what's going on here at Lifeway, and I feel like it's my responsibility to be in control and to manage every aspect of my life. And it's working out great so far. (laughs) From the outside, it may look like that, right? (sighs) How do we play God? By denying our humanity, Leslie already read, I admit that I am powerless to control my tendencies. So our humanity is, we are powerless. Without Jesus, we are powerless. So by denying the fact that we are powerless and trying to control everything for selfish reasons, that's how we play God. We deny our humanity, and we try to control everything for my own good. And listen, if it's not God's reason, it's a selfish reason. What do we try to control? We try to control our image. We pretend. We wear masks. We deny our weaknesses. We deny our feelings. Because if I look good, if I can fool everyone else in my life to thinking I'm okay because of the image I maintain, then I'll be able to manage my life. As long as people don't know, as long as people see the image I want them to see, see a man who's in control, who has it together, who's on top of his world. That's how we play God. We try to control other people, our kids. Kids try to control their parents. We try to control our spouses. We try to control other people. How do we do that? We use guilt, we use fear, we use praise. We use a silent treatment. We use anger. I am the king, don't ask my wife, but I am the king of being passive-aggressive. Any other men out there? Passive-aggressive? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, make a note of that. That's how we try to control people. We use all of these different things. How, how do we control our problems? I can handle it. This is the third way we try to play God. We control our problems. I can handle it. I'm okay. I'm fine. It's all good. Here's my favorite one Travis, how are you doing? I'm living the dream. A nightmare is a kind of dream, right? <laughs> Ever have those dreams where you just keep falling? You're just falling. You can't stop falling? Yeah. I'm good. I don't need help when I'm dying on the inside. How many of you know the more we try to fix our problems ourselves, the worse our problems tend to get? I can do this. I can fix this. I'm a man. I'm in control. I know what needs to be done. Fourth, we try to control our pain. We run from it. We avoid it. We deny it. We postpone it. We avoid it by eating, not eating, new relationships, drinking, compulsive habits. Try to control and manage our pain. We cannot find freedom on our own. It is impossible. If you try to find freedom on your own from any of your hurts, habits, or hang ups, you will live in a continual spiral of frustration. Because the sun sets you free. You are free indeed. There is no true freedom outside of Jesus. Not in what you're drinking or eating or watching or who you're spending time with or how much money's in your bank account, what prestige you have, what your image is, nothing. You may feel like you have it all together. My life is good. You're still not free. Outside of, you don't know what true freedom is until you encounter and experience the freedom that Jesus gives you. No other higher power. You can pray to a doorknob all day long and it's not going to do a thing for you. Just read the Old Testament. We cannot find freedom on our own. Number two, okay, so that was the cause of my problem. I want to be God. I want to be the God of my own life. Number two, the consequences of that, trying to be God. First consequence is fear. Adam said in Genesis, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I can understand that. Sometimes you see yourself naked and you get a little afraid. (laughs) Let's laugh a little bit, people. You ever scare yourself looking in a mirror? Okay. There was someone, uh, we were all at a conference one time, and the speaker, he said something like, you know, if you ever want to give yourself a good laugh, just take off all your clothes and stand in front of the mirror. It's so true. Where am I at? Okay. (laughs) Standing naked. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid, because... I was afraid because I was naked. We're afraid. Fear is a consequence of trying to play God. We're afraid. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're afraid someone is going to find out who we really are. So we hide. We're afraid. And so I'm not going to let anyone get close enough to me because they'll see how afraid I really am on the inside. If someone gets too close, how many of have known people like that in your lives, or maybe you're one of those people, that you'll let someone get this close and no further? Or someone, they start getting too close, and so they begin to run because they don't want you to see, or maybe you don't want them to see how afraid you are because you've been trying to play the, the God of your own life. The second consequence, frustration. The example Rick Warren used here is, how many of you ever played a whack-a-mole, right? Whack-a-mole. This is what happens in life when we try to, to be the own, our own God, the God of our lives, right? You're at a whack-a-mole game, problem comes up, <laughs> You're like, yes, stay down, right? I got it. Three more pop up. Like, what in the world? I thought I had this handle. <laughs> okay, I'm good. Four more come up, and it's just a continual cycle of frustration, Psalm 32, David says, before I confess my sins. Now, before I confess my sins, that's important. It It sets this whole passage in context. I kept it all inside. My dishonesty devastated my inner life, causing my life to be filled with frustration, irrepressible anguish, and misery. Have you ever felt like that? I've kept it all inside. I have it under control. And the frustration begins to build and build and build because you slowly begin to realize, I do not have it in control. I cannot be God. Third consequence is fatigue. It's tiring trying to play God. Denial is exhausting. You know what I'm talking about. Denial is exhausting. Trying to play God is tiring. He goes on to say here, verse 4 The pain never let up, for your hand of conviction was heavy on my heart. My strength was zapped. My inner life dried up like a spiritual drought within my soul. See, most people, myself included, we try to avoid pain by keeping busy. My hobbies, my work life, my family. Even church activities. If I can just keep busy, if I can just keep doing and doing and doing and serving and serving and serving, I will distract myself from the pain that's actually there. And what happens when when you live life like that? You burn out. Because you just keep going and going and going. And you don't allow yourself time to refill in his presence. Because most people with this mentality, you're not spending time with him every day. Intimacy with the Father is not there because you're too busy trying to distract yourself to avoid the pain and fatigue sets in. Ask yourself this question. What am I working so hard at running from? What am I working so hard at running from in my life? The final consequence is failure. James 5.16 Leslie referenced this verse earlier. Confess your sins. Okay, here we go. Get that offense meter up, because it can happen right now. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How often do we operate like this in the church? Confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. Here's what Rick Warren says. Forgiveness happens immediately when you go to Jesus and you say, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Instantaneously, you are forgiven. But healing happens in the context of community. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But so often we have our masks on. We want to keep our image intact. And so there is no way I'm telling them what's really going on. There is no way I'm really telling them what I'm struggling with. What will they think of me? I won't be able to maintain this image that I've worked so hard to build if I tell them what's really going on in my life, if I tell them what I'm really struggling with. Now, that doesn't mean you grab a microphone and broadcast it to everyone in the county, unless the Lord tells you to. In, social media is not the place either. But in the context of a healthy community of believers, that's why the church exists. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. We need to be open and honest about our faults and our failures. The church should be a safe place where people can talk about their problems and not be afraid of judgment. Listen. Listen. Don't be sitting there thinking this series is for someone else. I I shouldn't even come the next four weeks because I got this under control. I can handle it. I can solve my own problems. Listen to me. When you live life thinking you can handle everything on your own, you're saying what Jesus paid for on that cross wasn't near worth it. Because, Jesus, what you did wasn't enough to solve my problems, to help me find freedom in my own life. I'll take it from here. Thank you for your love. Thank you for forgiveness. I'll find freedom on my own. I know what to do. And you diminish the value of what Jesus came to do. Because he not only came to forgive you of your sins, but he came to set you free and empower you by the Holy Spirit to do what he's called you to do. Amen?
0: The third and final, the cure. The cure. This first word is really the stepping point into freedom. Admit. Admit that I am powerless. I'm telling you, that first admission, I can't. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be the God of my life. This isn't working. There's got to be something better, and I promise you, there is. In admitting my weakness, Rick Warren says, I find strength. Huh, Jesus said that. Right? It is not our, to our shame that we admit our weakness, It is not to our shame that we admit our weakness, because that's where he shows up. He says, in your weakness, I am stronger. Not figure it out, get it together, and then I'll help you be strong. No, he's saying, just come to me and admit your weakness. I've got it from here. Come on. It's so good. For me, it's, it spells relief. I have relief knowing that I can come and I can admit this is my struggle. I'm a perfectionist, and I want everything to be okay, and I will control it either through anger or fear until it's right. And I'm going to admit that I'm trying to control my situation. And you know what happens when he shows up? He moves us from one level of glory to another. Because the enemy wants you to think you are lost, you are helpless, you are a lost case, you are a lost cause. When you say yes to Jesus, you are set into glory. Glory. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 18, it says one brighter level of glory to another. So when we come as believers and we admit our struggles, we admit our problem, we admit our pain, there's a freedom that floods and we're moved from one level of glory to another. Amen? Not from shame to shame or shame to condemnation, but from one level of glory to another, because the enemy wants to keep you trapped there. He doesn't want you to admit. He doesn't want you to walk free. Psalms 32.5 says, Then I finally admitted to you all of my sins, refusing to hide them any longer. I said, My life-giving God, I will openly acknowledge my evil actions. And you forgave me. All at once, my, the guilt of my sin washed away. And all my pain disappeared. <laughs> <sighs> How many of you know that feeling? When you come and you say, I need you, and it's washed away and it disappears. Admitting that I am not God means I know I am powerless to change. My past, it hurts. I remember it. But, I, but all the resentment in the world isn't going to change it. My past, it hurts, I remember it, but all the resentment in the world isn't going to change it. I am powerless to control other people. I try, but it doesn't work. I'm responsible for my actions, not theirs. I am powerless to cope with my harmful habits and behaviors and actions. Good intentions, willpower is not enough. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power to change. Grace is the power to change. The power God gives me in my life to change. God gives it to the humble. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you can't confess that he's Lord if you don't humble yourself and lay down your desire to be God. You can't confess his lordship if you're still trying to be God. You confess that he is Lord of your life. What needs changing in my life? What hurt, hang-up, or habit have I been trying to ignore? For many of us, this will be the hardest step, admitting we have a problem, a hurt, or a need. The joy of repentance. This is Leslie's little ad. I have found that the faster I run to the foot of the cross and repent of whatever sin is haunting me or whatever pain is trying to silence me, the faster I run to the foot of the cross and repent, the faster I find joy and peace and help to get out of the suffering, not to cope with the suffering, not to cope with the habit, not to cope with the hang-up, but to get out of it, to be truly free. See, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, it says, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with trouble on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. You want his power in your life. You want miraculous power flowing through you. It starts with admitting. You need a savior. You need a king over your life. Will you stand with me this morning? So I will celebrate my weaknesses. So often we hide our weaknesses. We hide them in shame. And then that enemy keeps us in our weaknesses. And this morning, I want, as you're standing in your seat, to say, God, I I know. You know what it is. It's individual. It's personal. It's private. It's between you and your Savior. But then, okay, let me finish that thought. It's between you and your Savior to admit, to ask for forgiveness, to say, I need your help. Maybe it's not a sin, but maybe it's bitterness that you've held on to in the past that's become a sin because you're hurting and because you couldn't find healing. Whatever it looks like, you lay it at the foot of the cross and you admit you need a Savior in this area. Maybe you have been saved your whole life, but fear has has got a grip around your neck. Confess that you need help to conquer the fear because you can't overcome the fear on your own. I can't stop fear, but in the power of Jesus, when I say, I am afraid, and I need you to help me in my weakness, he comes every time. So in this moment, you're going to lay it at his feet, but then afterwards, I want you to find somebody in the body and do what Travis said. When you confess with your mouth to a brother or sister in community, in confidence, you find healing. That's why Celebrate Recovery meetings are happening. So you can come. You can walk with somebody in community and you can say, I need your, I need your love. I need your brotherhood, your sisterhood to walk this out. I'm, he is sufficient. And he also gave us each other. And so not only do we need to, if we need to talk to our spouse or talk to a friend, talk to an accountability partner, but we need to talk to somebody. Because he said healing comes when you bring it to a brother or a sister. And that's the most challenging part. The enemy wants to put tape over your mouth, say, I will never tell anyone that. Then you will never be healed. Come on. Reality. We are not God. We surrender in this moment. And in this moment, as you lay it at his feet, freedom is coming. You admit that you are not God over your situation. You admit that you want him to be over you and not your control, your fear, your hurt, your habit, and hang up. In this moment, as we worship together, let's confess. Let's repent in Jesus' name. It's a joy to repent.